This is U.S. Research Software Engineer Stories, coming straight at you from USRSC, the U.S. Research Software Engineer Association. I'm Vanessa Socket, and this is Research Software Engineer Stories, or RSC Stories. And it's a small series that I'm hoping is going to help us capture what exactly is a research software engineer. So today joining me, I have Ian Costin that leads a group at Princeton. Ian, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So let's jump right in. I want to start with definition. What do you think is a research software engineer? So maybe you can tell us a little about yourself and your group at Princeton and what being a research software engineer means to you. Wow, uh, that's a good question. It's, it's actually one I've thought a lot about both recently and over the last few years. Um, perhaps maybe I give you a little bit of background as it might be pertinent to, uh, to my kind of definition and understanding of a research software engineer. So I did my grad work in mechanical engineering. I was the guy in the lab who was the HPC guru, the one who helped everybody get started on the cluster. And I loved it. I thought it was great. I actually came to the conclusion at some point, probably around my third or fourth year, that I liked programming more than I liked science. I, I really enjoyed you know, heavy floating point arithmetic type calculation, but you realized that there wasn't a path for you. <laughs> yeah, I kind of—I'll be honest—I kind of tried to dream up a position um, at Penn. So I met with the sysadmins who, who ran the clusters and said, "Hey, wouldn't it be great if you had someone on staff who kind of understood the science, but also was like a programmer who could help with these problems that you guys can't answer because they're really software and programming specific." you know, like, how do I optimize this algorithm or how do I make this faster or, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm guessing they said, yeah, that would be great. Now, if only we had the funding. You know what? You got it almost exactly right. It was, yeah, that would be great, but we're never going to have the funding. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's even worse. <laughs> so, so they said, that's never going to happen here. But um, maybe you could go talk to my colleagues at Princeton and maybe they might have something. So long story short, I ended up here at Princeton on the back of basically saying I want to work with researchers to help them write better code, specifically faster. So I, I spent a lot of my career as helping to write parallel code, faster code, optimized code. That's sort of been my passion and specialty. So that long background, my view on what a research software engineer is sort of varies on a day-to-day -day basis, but I really do think <laughs> it's someone who combines an understanding of the research workflow, uh, the research incentives, often the domain science itself, along with an understanding of, of software development, best practices, uh, programming techniques, taking an equal interest in both aspects. And I think that that sort of marriage between the two, the software development and the, and the research expertise is where really exciting and cool things can happen. So your role, you, you mentioned a couple of times that your passion is, is optimization and algorithms, but in your position, you've been kind of, I, I don't want to say forced, but you've taken on more of a managerial position because someone has to be a leader for your group. Now, 
is that ideal for you or do you feel you were pushed toward it? 100%. It, I had the opportunity and I, I suppose if we're being honest at the time, I wasn't sure how I was going to handle it. Um, it was a transition. I hadn't managed people before. It was, I was tasked with building out this group. So if anyone has ever tried to hire anyone, let alone a research software engineer who's a, a unicorn in the, uh, <laughs> out there in the wild, they're very hard to find. Um, it's a lot of work and I wasn't sure I was going to take it, but turns out that I love it. I think it's fantastic. I enjoy getting to see the impact that the group has on research in basically enabling and accelerating the science through the individuals on, on my team. I love it. I think it's great. I've enjoyed watching RSEs grow, helping them develop professionally, the impact on campus, the positive reviews and responses from PIs on the impact that RSEs have had is really rewarding. So I have a couple of follow-up questions and here's the first. If I'm a student or someone that's an engineer with some background in science that would be interested in becoming a research software engineer, but they're aren't any established pathways or managers at my institution, what would be my first step? So for example, what if you went back in time and you couldn't become or you didn't want to become a manager, how would you have started pursuing to be an RSE? So knowing what you know now, if you could take your crystal ball and kind of control the future a little bit, because it's a really great crystal ball. Uh, how, would, how would you change the world so that someone in the future, in this position similar to you, that is at an institution where RCs don't have any official structure, really could be empowered to step up and say, you know what, let's make RCs a thing here. Step one is dot, dot, dot. That's a good question. A student right now who is identified, and I've, I've actually had students from various places reach out to me and say, your talk really spoke to me. This is, this is something, this is a career path I can really see myself getting on. What advice do you have? And typically my advice is learn as much about programming and software development and best practices and, and current techniques as you can. Explore that. The curiosity of learning these things on your own is the way to develop the skill set that's going to make you successful in this position. And as you mentioned earlier, that particular skill set, I, I mean, it's even hard to say that it's a particular set because it, it's so varied depending on the needs of different labs. You, you mentioned that it's really hard to find. So having played a role in hiring RSEs, is the challenge actually because there's a limited number of people out there that could have that skill set? Or is it also that there's competition with software engineering jobs that are in industry that may be able to offer a more competitive salary or just a general package? Here is my opinion as of, as of today. The biggest hurdle to finding good qualified people is the lack of awareness of the role. I think that there are many people who are capable of being successful, particularly after a period of time. You know, there's there's the raw talent and interest to be successful in these roles and folks who would be really interested in doing them if they knew that an RSE role existed and 
you know, kind of understood what it exactly it is. They get really excited. The problem is finding people to explain it to. I've been at, at conferences where I explain this and people get genuinely really excited about the prospect of doing this that before had really no idea. Yeah, so it sounds like it's totally an awareness issue. And I, I think we didn't talk about this formally, but you mentioned USRSC, which is the United States Research Software Engineer Association. And that would be, at least from my perspective, that, that would be the starting point for someone who's interested that, that doesn't have a manager at their institution where, where they can go and, and get involved. And I have my own thoughts about this, but I'd like to ask you first, given how USRC is growing and moving and the initiatives that are being taken, for example, there, there's a conference that's being had in the UK and hopefully someday we'll have one in the US. If you could again look into the future and say, you know, this is how I want the world to be, what would that future look like? What, what would USRC change? What policies would exist so that being a research software engineer is a real accredited and established option as a profession for anyone? Right. So I, I have this multi-year pipe dream that the USRC is going to help influence students around multiple disciplines that this is a viable career path, but this is something to endeavor in. It's going to influence folks in these roles, but also funding agencies, academic institutions, national labs to say, this is something we want to support because it's playing a critical role in one of the fundamental missions of our institution, which is research. You know, if research is important to us, Almost everyone is using research software in some capacity. And so let's invest in the people who are helping to advance this. And as a result, there'll be more positions. They will be held in higher esteem at the university. I sometimes think that research computing is the new library or public resource that universities can provide that will allow multiple disciplines from across many, many different places can, can use and utilize and is essential to their research. So my hope is that the USRC can make RSC a common term such that research PIs can say to their institutions, we need people like this. And look, here's what they can do. These are the people that are out there. This is an important role. This is how we need to recruit and hire them and treat them. We don't do it at Princeton, and I'm very grateful that we have an administration that understands this, but a lot of people are on soft money. A lot of RCs are on soft mm -hmm. money, on short-term contracts. I mean, and that's tough to get and keep the best people. And to me, that's, that's a place where a, a national association organization has the ability to advocate on the behalf and say, like, do this right, and you can have this. You know, it's just about bringing awareness to the importance of the role and the type of people that do this and their education and background, I think over time, I think this is a multi-year kind of goal that that's something that we can achieve just by having a coherent association of people. Yes. And I also think that this is a good reason for why we need to share stories. I made a video a while back that made the comparison that RCs are like mushrooms in the forest or marshmallows in a box of Lucky Charms. 
And it's really true that there's this layer of people that exist that are just sort of hidden and unknown and doing really important work for sustainable research software. And you know, part of, part of making an assertion that that layer is important and exists is just putting faces to those people. And you know, everyone has an interesting story, a different story, and it's, it's fun to hear about it. I'm, I'm curious, as an open source developer, I, I think about open source a lot, and I'm wondering how you see the relationship between open source software development and research software engineering software development. In my mind, it feels like if I were to create this ideal vision, it would be that you have this network of RSCs that sort of work on behalf of their institution, but their software that they're actually working on, the, the scientific software, is open source. And then you'd have a really nice overlap between research software and open source, which I think already exists to some degree. Uh, maybe not everything, you know, top secret national labs, but for a, a large subset. Yeah, I kind of get the feeling that that's the trajectory that the industry, if you will, is moving. Funding agencies are demanding that work be released as open source. And why reinvent the wheel over and over again? Have single code bases that are open and freely developed by multiple developers at different places just seems to me to be a logical model in the long run. A significant role in maintaining and developing those large open source code bases. It's modularized and set up in a fashion such that people can contribute and their contributions can continue. I mean, the worst thing in the world, this drives me absolutely bonkers, is a grad student develops a piece of code in the basement on his or her own, and by the end of their PhD, it's in such a state of disarray and mess that the next grad student just starts over. That is just like, to me, like a waste of, of effort. One of the reasons why I think having someone who can mentor or take the lead on that, or if it's part of a larger open source package and there's the small contribution with some guidance and standards, it's far less likely that human effort is lost. That sounds like a really strong message that I think we should explicitly state right now. So if you are a PI and you're running a lab, or if you're staff in a lab and your lab is developing research software, you should really look from the get-go into if your institution has anyone that's under this umbrella of research software engineer that can come in and get you set up to have continuous integration with proper testing and automated builds and clean code and documentation and all those good practices from software engineering that will make your, the products of your lab uh, long-term sustainable and uh, reproducible. So then when your graduate students graduate and leave you behind, um, the scripts don't get lost in the doldrums of GitHub. And I, I guess that's where scripts go to die. So that's what you can do if you're not a research software engineer, but you want to support this movement and you want to give attention to, to the effort at your institution. To totally agree. Um, you know, it, there's two pieces. There's research software engineers, which are the people that are essentially practicing research software engineering. But you don't have to be a research software engineer to practice good research software engineering. And I think yeah. that's something that we can, we as a community can help to promote, advance, provide resources for others 
to say, you know, here's a template for how to get started and here are some good practices for research software engineering. Because it, it doesn't have to be the best. It's just getting better. It's trying to move the, move the needle forward. So I think we're just about coming up on time. I want to encourage listeners who are interested in learning more about the United States Research Software Engineer Association to go to us-rse.org, usrc.org with a dash in there. And from there you can find, gosh, links to resources, a job board where we regularly post positions and institutions that are trying to recruit RSEs. Uh, there's links to both our Slack channel where you can come and talk to people and about research software engineering. And you can also join our mailing list that goes out once every two months. Uh, we're sort of an, an early organization and, you know, USRC has been growing really quickly, I think, in 2019. And, you know, personally speaking, I can definitely in identify with that lone wolf metaphor that you mentioned earlier. It's It's been so great to really, quote, find some of my people um, in this organization. Ian, do you have any other suggestions for resources that uh, might be interesting to share? You know what, honestly, that's actually kind of a, a harder question to answer than you think it might be. I would say to start, if you're, if you're starting off really from scratch, the papers written by Greg Wilson, Good Enough Practices for Scientific computing, I believe, and best practices for scientific computing. A suggestion that I give a lot is try to get involved in whether it's an open source project or a project that's being actively developed by sophisticated developers. It's a great way to learn. Uh, I find most people are, if you're willing to put in some effort and contribute, that they're willing to kind of help you along with some of the things that might be new to you. I'm a firm believer in the project-based learning type philosophy of, you know, the only way you really learn is by doing it. Oh, I'm totally with you on that one. I just usually dive in and, and then a day later after a thousand failures, something works and I'm beyond joyful. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. I think you just got to bite the bullet and go. Okay. And one final fun question how do you catch a research software engineer in the wild? How do you catch a research software engineer in the wild? Okay. How, what do you mean by catch <laughs> before I say something? Well, if, if I were answering that question, I'd say you leave out a very alluring avocado and then you wait and then they come to the avocado. I guess for you, it, it might be something like leaving around a script that isn't optimized, or it could be in, in spirit of that XKCD cartoon where one of the little bubbles in the distance says something like, honey, come to bed. And then the stick character, it is, it is, he's sitting at his computer and he's like, I can't, this is important. Something's wrong on the internet. So I suppose you could make a website of things that are just entirely wrong and you might catch some RSEs that way, maybe some other angry internet people too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea. Yeah, I think... Uh... I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is a this is a broad statement that might not apply to everyone, but just start emailing code back and forth with versions A A one A two at the end of it, uh, and that final, they'll, they'll underscore pop out. final. Yep, yep. Underscore, <laughs> underscore final two. Anyway, Ian, it has been really awesome talking with you today. Uh, thanks for joining us on RSE Stories, and good luck with everything at Princeton and wishing you the best of success. 
Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.